Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. I am Pastor Dustin, and this is Steve Prudian with me. And uh, today we are continuing. We've got part two on our pastor's prayer. And uh, we... We're not dragging our feet through this, but gosh, we didn't get very far last week, and we're going to try and certainly get further this week. But uh, before we get into it, Steve, how how are you doing today? Today's a good day. Yes, no it is. No complaints. It's the day that the Lord made. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you created this prayer. Oh, the Holy Spirit created this prayer. Okay, you... I, cre- just, you... I just wrote this prayer. I'm not that smart. All right. You... Uh, <laughs> You took dictation for the Holy Spirit and wrote this down for us Um, because you were having difficulty finding a prayer that was already out there that had all this stuff in it. Yes. And the stuff that was out there was pretty much the -the run-of-the-mill simple. Okay. Yep. So we've started going through this, and you've got some bolded words, and uh, we're going through and kind of talking about the pastoral perspective on these bold words. Um, Last week, we got through several. Equip, protect, infilling power, inspiration, love, purpose, vision. Um, And uh, I'll say from my perspective, it's been kind of fun to go through these. What's interesting is, is that if you look at these words... And you're sitting in the position of a pastor. Yep. They take on a whole different meaning. Yes, they very much do. I was going to suggest that if we're only going to get through what you think we're going to get through, you might want to just read that first paragraph (laughs) so people can actually know where we're at. (laughs) All right. I will do that. All right. So the first paragraph of our prayer is our Father God and His Son, Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I ask that you equip and protect my pastor. Father, come alongside him with the infilling power, the Holy Spirit, and inspiration. Show him your love, purpose, and vision. Give him wisdom and guidance to share your word while ministering to the people you send to him. Strengthen and encourage him for the work you have called and anointed him to do. And that is just a fantastic opening to a prayer. So like I said, we left off, and this week we'll start with wisdom. Is there anything that uh, you want to start with? Where is the beginning of wisdom, Dustin? Where does it begin? Uh, Wisdom begins with God. Wisdom begins with God. If you don't go to God for wisdom... And you do it yourself. What does that make a pastor who does it himself? A fool. <laughs> well, I was going to say a wise guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting yeah. about wisdom? Wisdom is what you need to know that you don't know. So you can do what you wouldn't do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So wisdom is, you know, from from the pastoral perspective, you can look and see 
examples of God's wisdom through Solomon and his asking for wisdom and the people that come and then, you know, plead their case to him. And of course he answers wisely and somewhat unexpectedly. So I think that's a great, a great way to start looking at wisdom, you know, because God gives us wisdom and he can give us an understanding and knowing that is completely contrary to anything any human being without that divine inspiration would ever think of. You know, if two women came to me saying, both of them arguing that this is their child, now in our day and age, we've got DNA testing and all of that kind of stuff. It makes it pretty simple. But they didn't have that back then. And so Solomon says, cut the kid in half, give half to each woman. I never would have thought of that. Not without divine inspiration. Because it's just such an oddball thing to do. It goes against logic. It goes against reasoning. But it found the answer. They found the right answer. And so when I think about, when I look at this and I think about that prayer for wisdom as really, you know, God help me to understand things in in your way of understanding. Not my way of understanding, because my way of understanding is definitely flawed and fails a lot. But if I can understand it through his understanding and see things through his understanding, then it gives a very different perspective and gives different options and different ideas to go along with it. I believe that you have to be in tune with the Spirit in order to be able to have wisdom. I would agree. Because it's the Holy Spirit that will open up your eyes and open up your heart and your mind to know the will and the way of God. There's several examples of um, of people who displayed God's wisdom. The greatest example is his own son. Yes. And you can find that wisdom that came from God in how Jesus decided to do things and when. And when he was questioned, the answers that he gave that no one would ever expect. So subsequently, even Jesus had to consult his father to know the right thing to do and the right answer to give. Are you and I better than Jesus Christ? No, not even remotely. The other person in the Bible that I find as a person who gave wisdom, one from experience, two from prayer. Okay. Was the Apostle Paul. Yes. Because if you take a look at all the letters and instructions that he wrote, there's a great deal of wisdom that's imparted there. Yes, there certainly is. And there's a great deal of prayer being had. Yes. You know, he says at the beginning of many of those letters, I pray for you as often as I think of you. Which is really 
an incredible thing. And how did Paul start most of his letters? Two famous words that he used in most every letter. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Yep. And then. And then. <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, gosh, I was going to say something else, and now it's completely skipped my brain. That's okay. If it comes back, oh, that's exactly it. If it comes back, it'll be the Holy Spirit doing it. Well, guess what? So you had mentioned that wisdom comes to us from being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And we've said before that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. This is something that you won't be wise if you are telling the Holy Spirit to go be quiet and sit in his corner. Because he's going to go sit in his corner. But then you're going to ask God for wisdom, but you're going to want the Holy Spirit to stay where he's at. And that doesn't work. So this does take an amount of vulnerability from you and, a, and an amount of maturity as well. You're going to have to have that discernment to recognize the voice of God through the Holy Spirit and how he speaks to you. And you're going to have to have the humility and the vulnerability to allow him to do that and to speak into your life and then follow it. Jesus says, don't throw pearls before swine because they don't know what to do with the pearls. It's wasteful of the pearls. Well, guess what? God's not going to grant us wisdom that we aren't going to use. It's funny, the next word is actually the application of wisdom. It is. Guidance is the application of wisdom, which is good. We can kind of half skip over that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. When does a pastor need guidance? And it can be subtle. Uh, it's, it's every day. But, you know... And again, I will say I'm, I'm not the lead pastor. I'm an associate in an associate role, so I don't prepare a sermon every week. It's not about the sermon. But I have prepared sermons, and I know that there's a, a lot of guidance that's needed who is in that preparation. Who is ministry to? Think about the question. Who is ministry to? Ministry is to everyone. Ministry is to everyone. So subsequently, guess who you have to be ready for? That's right. Anyone. Yep. Anyone. Anyone. And I was actually having a conversation just the other day about um, if God gives me a message to preach and through my preparation and delivery of that message, if I don't come away with something... Something's wrong. Then something's wrong. Something then is I really am not, wrong. <laughs> then I am not working in his wisdom, and I am not following his guidance, because he is supposed to be guiding. He guides my reading. He guides the study. He guides the search, where I find the information, what information I find, how I process it. If I am in his will for that message, then there's a whole lot of him and very little me. And that's good, because... Quite frankly, the congregation needs to hear the word of God, not the word of pastor. With guidance comes something that people misunderstand. 
and that word is called conviction. Yes. And conviction means what? Oh, man. What does conviction mean? It's not just a word. No, no, it's not. And our legal system gives it a connotation that it really, it just really doesn't help. Because we associate the word conviction with guilt. And that's not, that's not right. That's not the only way to understand it. And the how can I explain it? So the Holy Spirit, when I felt convicted, has been the Holy Spirit telling me in a very straightforward and very convincing, sometimes forceful way, that something needs to change or I need to do something, I need to stop doing something. So it can be as simple as uh, you see somebody on the street with their hand out and the Holy Spirit can convict you to put something in that hand or not to put something in that hand as the case may be. And beware of angels unaware. Yep. It's a test. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And, but it's listening to that conviction of the Holy Spirit, which again, with the wisdom, sometimes goes against everything that our culture says is wise. And Jesus said, when you saw me poor, yep. when you saw me naked, when you saw me needy, yep. Yep. are you looking for Jesus? Right. Because if you're looking for him, you know, I was up in a, I was up in an airplane the other day. And it was after dark. Scary. Not really. It could was. You, it could was... you find the runway? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. The the runway was found easily. Actually, we were quite a ways away from the runway, and you could see the beacon. If you go down to the Hampton Airport, there's a big mm-hmm. light up on a pole that spins around, and one side is white and the other side is green, and this the top of this light rotates and from a distance it's flashing colors on and off. And you can see that from a really, really, really long way if you know what to look for. If you don't know what to look for, it can be kind of difficult to see. But if you know what Jesus looks like, you can see him way off in the distance and he will guide you along that path. And you can know when the target moves, because sometimes he moves the target on you and you'll see somebody and you'll think, no, I'm not going to give that person the $5 I got in my pocket. And the spirit will convict you because you're focused on Jesus. The beacon will move and it'll be like, nope, you're giving $5 to that guy. And I will say sometimes it does do the opposite. Sometimes you see somebody and you go, all right, yeah, I've got $5 in my pocket. And Jesus will say, nope, the beacon's over here. That $5 is needed over here. And I know there's a reason for that. And quite frankly, we're going to take up enough time. (laughs) To me, a good word for conviction is a reason to have a strong belief. Yes. A reason to have a strong belief. 
Yeah, I like that. I like that well. Our next word is strengthen, which goes right along with the idea of having that wisdom and guidance that is completely counter to culture. And, you know, the prevailing culture has a logic all of its own and a wisdom all of its own that really isn't a wisdom. And it does take strength. What kind of strength? A strength I don't possess. All of it, and I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through all of this, but all of this... It's important because most people have no idea what a pastor needs every single day in order for him to be able to be the servant to God that he's called to be. Not an easy job. No, and this prayer, honestly, if if you haven't get a copy of it, you know, if you're coming to faith, pick it up at the Welcome Center and pray it over Rob and I. Daily, weekly, monthly. And even if you're a visitor, pray it over your pastor. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I haven't gotten it online yet, but I will get it online and we'll let people know when that happens. But it is just, it's a great prayer. And every single thing that is being prayed for in this is the work of the Holy Spirit through the person. They're not debatable because they're absolutes. Yes, they are, for sure. All right. So strengthen is partnered with encourage. Strengthen has two sides to it. Mm-hmm. One is the physical endurance that a pastor needs for the daily demands that are put upon him. Many right. of them unplanned for. Sure. Yep. The second type of strengthening that they need is they need to be strong in the power of God, strong in the Holy Spirit. Because as the scripture says, we wrestle not against man, but against powers and principalities. Where? Okay, not in the basement. Nope. But in high places. Right. And if you take a look at the chief name of Satan, he is called the prince of Persia. That's principality, place, and where his power center is. Yep. But he's also called prince in the power of the air. Right. And, you know, kind of with that, with that idea of you need to have the physical strength as well as the spiritual strength, you know, um, and maybe it's a poor analogy, but, you know, thinking of, you know, weightlifting. We had that analogy a couple of weeks ago. We talked about weightlifting. Well, not only do you need the weight in order to build that strength, but you need the gravity. Without gravity, those weights don't do anything. And so you have to be able to lift that weight with that gravity. And what's that called? 
Once you, once you lift that weight with gravity, okay, what is that called? That's called training. It's called resistance training. Yep. You're overcoming the resistance. Yep. So, like I said, maybe it's a bad analogy, but, um, you know, and a lot of that comes from our own quiet time and spending that time with God on a regular basis and study and prayer and building that relationship with him because that's, you know, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And if I'm not spending the time with him, again, if I'm telling the Holy Spirit that lives within inside, you know, lives within me to be quiet and go sit in his corner, he can't strengthen me. He can't encourage me. If your situation is grave, mm-hmm. gravity, okay, what do you need? You need strength. Yeah. Okay. I do. When the situation is grave. Yes. If you haven't been exercising, exercised in the spirit, where does that leave you? Weak. Without strength. Yep. It leaves you lacking. That's. Uh... There's a sermon when I was a kid. Six days without God makes one week. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> yep. You know, kind of that idea of mm-hmm. church on Sunday is not enough, people. Not going to cut it. Nope. And one day a week isn't enough for a pastor. How often either. does a person breathe? Uh, many times a minute. Many times a minute, but every day. Yes. If you know you need to breathe every day in order to stay alive. The question is, is how much more do you need God who gave you the breath in the first place? Well, there's truth in that for sure. All right. Are we ready to move on? Sure. All right. So after being strengthened and encouraged. Oh, there... we haven't talked about encouraged. Talked about strengthened. All right. Haven't talked about encouraged. <laughs> I'm trying to skip one. I you got you me. You're not getting there. It's bold. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why is encouragement needed? Oh, encouragement is. You know, my spirit needs to be refreshed. Not just. You know, sleep refreshes the body, but there has to be an, a refreshing of the spirit. You know, on any random day at any random time, somebody could come in and sit down across from me in the office and say, Pastor, I need your help. And if my spirit isn't refreshed and I'm not encouraged, I am going to struggle. And what's the opposite of encouragement? Discouragement. Discouragement. So the lack of encouragement leads mm-hmm. to? Discouragement. Discouragement. And in pastoral work, that means burnout in a big hurry. Because to be honest, there's there's a lot of burden that is carried. And God tells us to share each other's burdens. And that's good. So when somebody comes in and shares a burden with me, I am happy to carry that with them. But I need that spiritual refreshment. And what that spiritual refreshment and renewal does, the encouraging process, 
is also biblical. And I trade my burden with that that Jesus carries. I swap yokes with him. So a pastor seeking encouragement, another word for that is motivated. Oh, sure, yeah. It's motivated. Your motivation comes from encouragement. Yep. Okay, and the thing is, is is that what can you do without motivation, without reason, a higher goal? Mm Mm-hmm. You can't do much without that motivation, without that higher goal. No. But why would you have why would you have motivation in the first place? Think about that. Why would you have heard of it motivation in the first place? Because God put it there. Because God knows what he wants to accomplish through you. Right. Okay, it's the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Next word. Next word. I was just waiting for you. All right. The next word is anointed. So strengthen and encourage him for the work you have called and anointed him to do. And we talked about this a little bit through the strengthen and encourage, that there is a work to do. But it has to be an anointed work. And for me, this is a more of a metaphorical than a literal term, especially in our culture. We don't go around pouring oil, oil over people's heads. And even so, with David, when he was anointed as king, that was still figurative Mm-hmm. Even though he literally had oil it poured over his head as the oil, anointed right? king, it was still figurative in the fact that he did not become king for quite a while after that. So that didn't necessarily make him the king right at that moment. What does the word anointed mean? Chosen by God. What does it symbolize? Power and authority. The power of God absent from your own right power of god absent from you and how much of you is anointed how much of you is how much of your presence is anointed that's a very nuanced question i think because i think the only the only parts of me that can be anointed are those that i surrender to god if there's something that lacks surrendering, which we all have, that's that's sin, right? We all have we all have our hang-ups and things. We all have our mistakes. But if we haven't surrendered it to God, it can't be anointed. Another word for anointed is what word in the Bible? It's synonymous with a person. The Spirit of God. Yes. When you're anointed, you're anointed with the third part of the deity of the Trinity, which is the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God who ministers to the Spirit that God put put within you, Mm -hmm. not to do what you want to do, 
but to do what God wants to do by the anointing, okay, by the power, by that coming upon you of the Holy Spirit. Right. And again, you have to surrender. We've we've got to surrender to the Spirit. We can't tell him to go sit in a corner and expect to be anointed. I would like to think that every person who answers the call of pastor has surrendered his life to that call. Yes. It's easy to go out in the world and make a buck. Oh, yeah. With less headache than it is to have to deal with the, the people, the problems, the programs, the government, the finances. Yes. Leave me alone. I just want to watch TV and I want to know where the remote in the refrigerator is. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's an easy trap to fall into. <clears throat> and if you're not surrendered and in that wisdom and guidance and feeling encouraged, feeling that motivation, it's really easy to fall into the trap of just leave me be. I want to just do my own thing for a while. When Joshua made the statement, choose to stay whom you will serve. Mm -hmm. Well, a person who's a pastor has made that choice. Yes. And he makes that choice every day on whom he will serve. What about the average person who isn't a Christian? Well, they've chosen too. I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but... They have certainly chosen. Sometimes the average person who is a Christian forgets to choose each day whom he really serves. Who is a Christian. I thought you said isn't. No, who is a Christian whom he really serves. Yeah. And subsequently, when we don't give credit to whom we serve, we don't come in spirit and in truth. Right. Where does that leave us? Just with our own strength and our own reasoning. No power, only what we have in our in our daily physical bodies, which usually runs out before the end of the day. Yep. And will quickly become weak and discouraged. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So anointing is a, a top requirement for anybody who is a minister. For God and for his son. Yes. Yep. Especially holding the office of pastor. Mm-hmm. All right. We just finished the first paragraph. We did finish the first paragraph. We're going a lot quicker than we did last week. All right. The next paragraph is, Thank you for the safety, protection, and good health for him and his family. I thank you for encouraging him with your presence, peace, joy, and all the fruits of the Spirit. May he be enthusiastically faithful, loving, and kind. We got a whole lot of words highlighted here. It's amazing how that happens in such such a short little statement. (laughs) (laughs) There is a little bit of overlap, but um, I'm going to go back a couple of weeks And I think I talked about this actually last week, too, because when we were in Mark 11, Mm -hmm. um, we talked about 
you can thank God for what has not yet happened because God is faithful and just. And if it's in his will, you know that it will happen. So you can thank him on the front end for that he will do something that he has not yet done. And that is called? Faith. Faith. Right. So in faith, we're thanking God for the safety, not just physical, but spiritual safety. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, I am certain that there's an amount of safety and there is, I have a spiritual bodyguard, entourage, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. I fully believe that. I believe every pastor does. Every preacher and teacher of the gospel does have that. Because you've declared yourself what? His. His, but by being his, you become an enemy to the enemy. Right. Right. And so there is that safety, there is that protection in the spiritual realm that is there. That doesn't mean that we don't go through battles. What it does mean is we are protected from the worst of them. And good health is the same. Because although sometimes people get sick, sometimes pastors get cancer. And we know know of one ourselves who has. Yep. And so it's not that these things aren't going to happen, but again, that understanding that it could be worse and we are protected and ultimately there will be ultimate safety, ultimate protection, and ultimate good health with God in heaven. What happens if a pastor's health fails him while he's trying to still minister to the people that God has put before him. What happens to that pastor, to that man whose health is failing? Well, it depends on whose strength on that he's relying on. Because if he's relying on his own strength, there's usually a failing of the ministry. But if he's relying on God's strength, it could even become more powerful. It could become more powerful. Oftentimes what happens is, is, is that for a man who's trying to serve God with all that he has, mm-hmm. the one thing he really doesn't have time for is failing health. And the reason he doesn't have time for failing health is because, unfortunately... The work is much, and the helpers are few. Yep. Yeah, that's 100% true. So one of the reasons we pray for a pastor to have not only spiritual health, but good physical health, Mm -hmm. is for him to be able to to just share handle the load of each day. Don't forget his family. His health affects his family. And his family's health affects him. Exactly. Yep, that is absolutely true. And these prayers are answered. 
Um, going through school, we had a history lesson um, on, I, if my memory serves correct, it was A.B. Simpson, who is one of the founders of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And again, forgive me if I get the name wrong, um, but he, he had a thorn in his side. So did Paul. Yep. He had some pretty major health stuff going on. And he prayed for God to take it away. And he thanked God for taking it away. And then before God took it away, he preached and taught that God had taken it away. And God took it away. And for the remainder of his ministry, he had no major illness. Amazing. And, you know, it said he never had to go see the doctor or whatever. Well, I mean, we're talking 1800, so Mm -hmm. regular checkups weren't as common as they are now. So it's pretty amazing. You know what? It goes to show you that God will prevail if you prevail. God's more faithful than I am, Mm -hmm. for sure. And if I can be that faithful and trusting, understanding that it has to be his will. Because his will for me might be that I get sick at some point. I can't can't overlook that, and I can't override that. He has a purpose. He does. Even if you don't like the fact that you're the subject of his purpose. Right. So, so God does want, he does protect us. He does offer us safety and protection and good health, even though, like I said, what he allows through is what he has allowed through for his purpose. Then we come to the word encouraging again. Do we, need the, to say, do we need to say more on encouragement? Only one thing. Okay. What is the difference between asking to encourage and then we look at the word encouraging? What's the difference between the word encourage and then the word encouraging? Well, the tense of it. The tense. <laughs> o- ongoing. Yep. Okay, the fact is, is is that he needs ongoing encouraging. Right. And encouraging with and through the presence, peace, joy, and all of the fruits of the Spirit. And, which, those, and those are all mouthfuls when you think about it. Yes, they Every are. Every single one of those words you could actually preach a sermon on. You could very easily preach a sermon on all of those. Yep. You know, the the presence of God is something that every Christian experiences, but not all the time. We don't always recognize the presence of God. 
Sometimes God goes quiet on you. Sometimes. You know, I'm I'm reminded of, of a story of a farmer and his wife. You know, they get married and they're young. And she always sits next to him in the pickup truck, snuggled right up close to him. And over the years, as time goes by, she eventually slides over and she's sitting in this other seat, the passenger seat. And one day she looks at him and says, why are you so far away? He hasn't moved. He can't move. (laughs) (laughs) And we do that with God. I mean, be honest, we do that with God. We move away and then go, God, why can't I feel your presence? Well, get over here. And so that's another, that is the result of spending that quiet time with God, that regular time in devotion, in prayer, in study of the Bible. And, you know, letting the Spirit do what the Spirit needs to do inside of you. And the presence of God is revealed. When I experienced the lack of the presence of God, Mm -hmm. he allows me to feel the lack of his presence for one of many reasons. Yes. Because he's trying to call me to attention for why he's not close by, why mm-hmm. not he's not in agreement to whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm thinking. Right. And so what he's what he's saying is is he's saying, I'll come close to you as you draw, you move over in the seat and come close to me. But Does that, he say, "I'll draw near to you as you draw near to me"? Yes, <laughs> but the but the but the but the whole thing is 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 that for us to be drawing near to him, is we have to leave all of the garbage behind that has actually separated us from him. Yes, that is very true. So from presence, we start to step into the fruits of the spirit. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people want their pastor to have all of the gifts of the Spirit. And when their pastor doesn't seem to exhibit all the gifts of the Spirit, mm-hmm. they accuse him of not having the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's, very, a, that's very true. That's an interesting thing to juggle. <laughs> <laughs> so... The fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Bunch of them. godliness, self-control, um, faithfulness. And it's amazing how often we get that wrong. It's just amazing how often we read that list and we go, I need to... I need to be, I, I recognize it, I need to be more loving. And so I go out and I try to be more loving. Good luck. Yep. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I fail. And what it ends up being is such a poor imitation of what I think it means to be loving. And what I what I miss and what 
many of us mess going through that is they are the fruit of the Spirit. Not yours. Not, not the fruit of the person. If you read all of Galatians chapter 5, you will realize just how bad you can fail when you try to do that yourself. But if we let the Spirit work, and again, it's our, it, it's our theme for the day, I guess. Invite the Spirit to have a bigger role in your life. Invite the Spirit to be loud in speaking to you. Be present. Be present. Don't go sit in your corner. What are you doing sitting over there? You know, I coach young kids playing soccer. And they want to sit down. What are you doing sitting over there? Get in the game. I'm tired. <laughs> you, you can't influence the game while you're sitting on the bench. You can't change anything. You can't score a goal. You can't pass a ball. You can't block a shot when you're sitting on the bench. We bench the Holy Spirit a lot in our lives. We got to get him off the bench. He's sitting there going, put me in coach, put me in coach. And we tell him to sit on the bench. And then we want all these great things for our lives. If we put him in, the fruit happens. If we invite the Holy Spirit to be an active participant in our daily life, to regularly speak to us, to influence us, to guide us, to grant us that wisdom, to encourage us, he will. As long as we're going to do it. I mean, again, he's not going to throw pearls before swine. He's not going to give you wisdom if you're not going to use it. But when we do that, when we surrender to him and become less me and more him, more of him comes through me and I exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because I've given up my control. What is the effect of that? What is the effect of having the fruits of the Spirit? Well, first of all, for me, when I, when I get to that point and I'm done trying to do it myself and I give it over and I surrender it, it's, it's profound, the feeling of the weight being removed. Because he's wanted to do it for me the whole time. The Spirit wants to do these things for me, and I just keep telling him, no, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And when I finally, you know what? I can't do it. You do it. He goes, okay, throw away all of that frustration. And now here, it's done. It's just, for me, talking about that refreshing and that renewing of the Spirit, of my Spirit and my encouragement, it's just, it's profound. I can't hardly even describe it. When I see other people doing the same thing, there are 
times and moments where you can see the change. If you are with somebody when they are in that moment, in that valley, and they go, God, I just can't do it myself anymore. I need you to do it for me. There's a moment of transformation in that. And you want to talk about feeling the presence of God? That's the only way I can describe it in that moment is if you're with somebody and helping them and loving them through that, and they get to that point, the presence of God is palpable in that space. And it's absolutely amazing. And to see people that have gone through that transformation, some of them many times in their life, but having that moment where they've given it up to God and God, you do it through me, you do it through me, you do it through me. You can look at them and the spirit that lives inside of me recognizes the spirit that lives inside of that person and starts to react in a way that I can only imagine, because I've never been pregnant, is similar to how John reacts in Elizabeth's womb when Mary comes to visit. And John, the spirit of Elijah living in John, recognized you know, he knew Jesus was just walked through the door and starts doing flips. And Elizabeth recognizes it and knows what it is because, you know, she's a godly woman. I can only imagine that that is something similar to how I feel when I encounter a truly godly person who is in tune with the Spirit. It's called effectiveness. The presence of the fruit of the Spirit mm-hmm. in a person's life is really a demonstration of God's effectiveness. Oh, yeah. Of that person that has given his life over to God. And subsequently, what God has changed him to is he changed him to a person that now displays God-likeness mm-hmm. or Jesus-likeness, which is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Right. So what he's doing is, is he's taking a mortal man and he's transforming him into yep. who his son is. Yes. yes. And this is your pastor. That's mm-hmm. what God is doing with your pastor. He's taking a mortal man and he's transforming, transforming him through the power of the fruits of the Holy Spirit Yep. to whom Jesus is. And that's the reason why a lot of people think that their pastor represents Jesus. It is. And in a sense, he does represent Jesus, but he's doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. I want to, I want to be a reflection of Christ. I don't merely want to be an imitation. Unfortunately, a lot of people who see the pastor week in and week out 
They just see him as the pastor. They just see him as the man, the pastor. Right. They don't see him as the servant of Jesus Christ. So subsequently, they do not look for Jesus Christ. But I tell you what, if they're praying this prayer on a regular basis, they will. That's if they're aware of this prayer. Well, if you're listening, you're aware. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing that, um, I don't know, a lot of time has gone by, but I would have liked to found found this prayer already published. I would have liked to have seen that. But why, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That just wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I really hate it when I talk to pastors who are struggling with spiritual anemia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. And I'm I'm sure it's incredibly di- difficult to be a pastor struggling with that. Struggling with a lack of quiet time and ability to commune with God through whatever reason, real or perceived, that that happens. It's been said that the pastor is the loneliest person in the church. I have heard that. I have heard that. And there is there is truth to it. It's an unfortunate truth, but there is truth to it. That would be another talk for another day. That would be another talk for another day. But we don't want him to feel lonely. We want him to be enthusiastically faithful, loving, and kind. I want him jumping for joy. So do I. I want to be (laughs) jumping for joy. And, you know, coming off of our talk of the fruits of the Spirit and that transformational moment. There is very little in life, if anything, that is more encouraging than that transformational moment, especially internally transformational when you give up to God and he takes it away. You know, Jesus says his burden is light. Yeah, it's light. And I can tell you it's light because he's taken some of my burden away and I have felt the weight go. And whatever he's laid on me weighs nothing. Look at it this way. You don't have 613 Levitical laws to follow. No, I don't. I have to love God and love people. Mm -hmm. Very simple. Very simple. But harder than you think. (sighs) Simple doesn't mean easy. That's right. Remember I talked about how people get confused with their pastors about having the fruit of the Spirit and they mistake it for the gifts of the Spirit? Yes. When a person looks at their pastor and he's looking for the gifts of the Spirit, what is he really looking for? Another person looking at a pastor and saying, you're supposed to have all of the gifts of the Spirit. What is wrong with that statement, and what is wrong with what they're looking for? If I'm tracking with you, which I'm not sure if I am. It's okay. But in my experience, I would say that person is looking for works. Exactly. What's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? 
which gift are you going to give me? What are you going to use on me? Right. You are... You don't have the fruit of the Spirit because I have never seen you heal somebody with a prayer. I've never seen you speak in tongues. I've never seen you do these things that aren't my gift. And there's a funny two words. Three words. Okay. Okay. And to some are given and to some, some are given some some okay but not all not all <laughs> i have seen evangelist preachers teachers who can and have healed with prayer they didn't heal with prayer you understand what i'm saying yes though. i am yes, okay I do. <laughs> okay that have had spiritual healing worked through them Okay, I have seen that. I have known of people who have, in the name of Jesus, been able to cast out demons. Mm -hmm. I have never cast out a demon because I've never had to. And until I have to, God is not going to give me that ability. I haven't had to heal somebody through the power of the Spirit. So I don't have that gift. I don't know if I'll ever have that gift, either one of them. That isn't, that isn't wrong. But it's not central to salvation. It's not. No, there's, I haven't had the need in God's will to have that gift. So I don't have that gift. That's fine. You're not the discerner of what gift you're going to get. No, but the fruit of the Spirit is for every believer. Exactly. Every single one. Now, do I have spiritual gifts? Yes, I do. Some stronger than others. Absolutely some stronger than others. I have And some none at all. Right. You know, I have a gift for knowledge. I love to learn. I love to know things and understand things and how they work. That's a gift that God has given me. I may never speak in tongues. Okay. Well, Paul's already defined the importance of that. Tinkling symbols? (laughs) (laughs) Well, personally... I think the speaking in tongues gets a bad rap because that's the one that people always go to. It's the most well-known of the gifts. And also abused. And it's also the most abused. And it's and it's most abused probably because it's it's likely the easiest of them to fake. And like I said, I think it gets a bad rap. And, but what's but, the t- what's the test of it? What's the test of it to be true? Um, in assembly, it has to be an interpreter. Exactly. So if there is no if there is no interpreter, was there really a gift present? No. 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 And I have experienced it. Not in this church, in another church that I was a part of for a time. There was some speaking in tongues, and there was an interpreter. And it was usually only once— Every couple weeks. It was pretty consistent. 
but it always, wasn't always the same interpreter. Uh no. Okay. Not always the same speaker. But there is a a speaking in tongues and an interpretation. And I think if my if my brain is working at all and my memory is serving me still, um, I can only recall one situation, one time, when there was a second person who spoke in tongues. And that was interpreted by somebody else. But I can only remember one occasion where two people spoke in tongues in one service. And the effect and purpose of it was what? The effect and purpose. Edification. It was, the interpretation was a uh, prayer for the congregation and for the people to encounter God and better know him and love him. I think that's another topic for another time. It really gets involved. It does. It does. And we simply don't have time for that today. Um, But what I want to say about this last, our last bold section here in this paragraph, enthusiastically faithful, loving, and kind. Okay, faithful, loving, and kind, again, are our fruits of the Spirit. Yes. That enthusiasm comes from that surrender and that infilling of the Spirit and that removal of that burden. What is the Greek word for enthusiasm? I have no idea. Dynamos. (laughs) Explosive. That's right. Dynamos. That's enthusiasm. explosively faithful, loving, and kind. Well, that that enthusiasm, it, it just flows out of people. You can see when people have experienced that transformation. Not only are they enthusiastically faithful, they are on fire for God, but they want you to be too. And don't you want your pastor to be like that? Absolutely, I want my pastor to be like that. If you're going to... If you can't, if you can't follow Jesus, mm-hmm. at least follow your pastor. And what did Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's right. Which again, I'm not a fan of the word imitate there, but I like the word follow. I like the word follow. Yep. All right, I. Th- think we're at a reasonable spot to chop this one off and, and start next week and start the, next week with, with part three yeah with part three of what you need to pray for effectively for your pastor yep all right i want you to think about one thing yes one caution all right what position does it leave you in if you do not pray for your pastors That's a very interesting question, and one our listeners should absolutely ponder. And where does my help come from? Where Uh does it come from? That's the question. Where does my my help come from? (laughs) I know that's the question, but I really want to answer it. And so in order to not answer it, I'm just restating the question. (laughs) Are you a politician now? Sure, why not? It's <laughs> <laughs> throwing it back at the asker. 
All right, Steve, thank you so much for coming in. Great to have you as always. My pleasure. You never know what's going to happen next. You really don't. <laughs>